Welcome to the In Conversation with Expo Stars podcast. I am Lee Ali, founder and MD of Expo Stars Interactive, an award-winning global live marketing and exhibition engagement agency. This is a podcast about leading the way in the live marketing industry and in business. In every episode, we speak to people around the world who do absolutely amazing work. You'll find an eclectic mix of stories and valuable insights on audience engagement, sales and marketing, mindset and well-being, business growth and much more. We've been active in the live marketing industry for well over a decade now and over that time we've been very fortunate and privileged to have met and worked with a diverse range of inspiring business people. We ask them thought-provoking questions and share with you their valuable insights. We want to inspire you to transform your live marketing, engage your audience, grow your business, and enjoy the process. Happy listening. Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number nine of In Conversation with Expo Stars with me, Lee Ali, founder and managing director of Expo Stars as your host. Um, today, we're going to be talking about um, psychology. We're going to be talking about human behavior and how it actually affects uh, 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 the consumers and marketers in the engagement process. Uh, we've heard phrases, we hear phrases um, now and again, uh, things like winning hearts and minds, we've got closed mind, open mind. So um, actually having a look uh, and taking a deep dive into uh, consumer behavior uh, actually helps us as marketers uh, to uh, drive better engagement. And joining me today is a uh, human behavior specialist and psychologist, Aidan Kearney. Hi, Aidan. Hi, Lee. How's things? Yeah, absolutely great. Uh, how's, how's things with yourself? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Mustn't grumble. Um, it's a bit damp and dreary here today, <laughs> but apart from that, all good. Excellent. So I first met you, I think it was about three years ago. Uh, you did a presentation for a local uh, group here called Pro Manchester, and I was actually fascinated uh, with the topic that you actually covered in terms of how our minds actually work uh, in that engagement process and also looking at, you know, the corporate uh, team environment and, um, you know, developing your team members and things like that. And I've always been a fan of... Um, uh, you know, understanding psychology and how the mind works. And uh, ever since, uh, I think I did a, a firework with uh, Tony Robbins back when I was 23 and uh, how he actually drove us to actually walk, you know, 12 feet on hot coals has always, you know, stuck with me. Um, so how did you actually get involved with uh, behavioral science and psychology? Well, like many of us, I'm fascinated by people, Lee. Uh, yeah. I, I really am just... Why do we do the things we do? Yeah. Um, so my journey in psychology started in my A-level year. Um, uh, I did a, an A-level in psychology. That led me to my primary degree in psychology. I was competing in sports at quite a high level at the time. Um, and was fascinated about my own performance, but the performance of others as well. Um, so that's, and I'm showing my age here, that's <laughs> 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you and me both, you and me both. I think you're younger than me, so. <laughs> and with that, um, I've continued my interest in study of psychology and, and, and use psychology in every facet of my professional journey. Um, so that's through the world of policing and investigations and, and more and more training that I've done and a master's in forensic psychology. 
And then over the last eight years in the world of elite performance consulting, um, and initially working with Professor Steve Peters and his chimp management team for about four yeah. years, and that was working across the world of elite sport, but also business, individual, um, and public sector and frontline emergency service um, performance. And then over the last three years, I've been running my own consultancy, Malleable Mind. And again, it's just harnessing all of the stuff that I've been studying for 25 years and saying, how does that live in the world that we operate in? How do we use the skills and the understanding of academic psychology to help us navigate the complexities of life? Right, okay. Uh, obviously, we've been through a very tough 18 months with the COVID pandemic. Uh, how do you think it's actually impacted our uh, human behavior and uh, our mindset uh, over the last 18 months? I mean, what are the key things that you've actually noticed um, in terms of how people are coping with what's actually happened? Well, I suppose that's a, a, a quite a multifaceted question. Um, at the very outset, uh, and I need to caveat all of this very strongly with, with my experience has been quite different to the experience that many others have had. I count myself quite fortunate in that uh, my business has, has continued. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to live in, a, in, in an environment where I have space to be able to continue my work and, and outdoor space uh, to relax in. Um, yeah. Many others haven't been. But from the outset of the pandemic, it was fascinating from a behavioral science and psychology standpoint. I observed very interesting behavior in supermarkets yeah. when panic buying set in and, and the inattentional blindness that we can fall into where we don't see the wood for the trees, um, where you, you would have people standing staring at empty shelves of pasta or political and, and being completely blind to the rice and the noodles and, and the yeah. couscous or, or whatever else, all yeah. of the other pulses and, and, and um, dried foods that there were on the shelves, or perhaps from the toilet roll perspective, the wipes and yeah. the kitchen roll and, and the tissue paper. So it was very interesting to observe and, and see the impact right at the, 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 the outset of what it can do to people's immediate behavior. Yeah. As we work through, there are a number of different other aspects. There clearly has been a huge impact from a mental health perspective on very, very many people. And, and that's as a result, not just of perhaps bereavement and loss, but it's also loss of perhaps identity through yeah. loss of job or profession or business, um, economic stress and impact, and then there's also a very interesting dynamic, which is now coming to the fore as we move into a, a new dispensation. And this is around workplaces and what yeah. work means. Yeah. yeah. So we've all heard the, the idea and the concept of, of hybrid working. That means very different things to very, very different people. And a challenge for people such as I and, and other people working with teams and, and businesses is to open up and be able to have that discussion around yeah. what the future looks like and yeah. to be able to dig into what mindsets are there yeah. um, to allow people and give them equipment and skills to find out what might be working to support new models yeah. of work and what might get in the road. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's actually 
challenge some people to actually open up their minds because we always have, uh, you know, people who are set in their ways, who think very traditionally. And then obviously we have the new generation who is very open to new ways of working and so on. Do you think um, uh, people like us who are like of an older generation who are quite fixed in their ways in terms of working, you know, nine to five and actually having traditional methods um, like sales methods and marketing methods. Do you think uh, the COVID has actually challenges to actually to want to change or need to change? Well, I think to to create um, divisions along kind of age profiles is is yeah. it's probably not um, completely accurate because some of the people who are at the forefront of kind of leading new models or new ways of working are, are of of. You're an I vintage, yeah, yeah. and and, and uh, the reality is that I suppose when we look at the world, we we frame the world around our own experience, our own uh, uh, living, what what we've gone through, and what we more importantly, what we've made that experience mean. Yeah. So we frame the world around our perceptions. Now our perceptions form our reality. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the reality shared by everybody else, yeah. being able to take stock of that and being able to look at things from a wider perspective is not just valuable in terms of bringing teams with you on a journey. Um, and that journey may mean different models of work, but it's also really important from the point of view of marketing and, and engaging with customers and, and looking at what might the customer need now and, yeah. and how might they differently view the world than Perhaps I would like them to view it, or yeah. perhaps I'm viewing it myself. Yeah. So that leads me on nicely to uh, to talking about how can we actually engage our target audiences more effectively. And um, obviously, we've seen through programs such as Mad Men, and we look at all the psychology that goes on uh, behind the, you know the marketing strategy and so on. I mean, what. Uh, one of the things I find is that people, uh, marketers sometimes look at it from their own perspective in terms of the services that they're providing. And as business owners, sometimes we actually fall in love with our products without necessarily thinking about uh, what our, uh, you know, what our customers actually want. And um, what what would you say um, in terms of uh, from a psychological and behavioral science perspective? What are the steps the marketers can actually take to better understand their target audience? Well, you're absolutely right um, when you say sometimes we can fall in love with our own product. <laughs> and, and it's really uh, gleaning from individuals and, and using the, the data sets to be able to understand what's working and what's not. Um, I, I dip back into some of the, the, the work that was done by Robert, Robert Cialdini back in the 80s. Yeah, um, yeah. So around influence and likability. Yes, likability is absolutely crucial. Um, I think there's a move away from the idea of a minimum viable product to the idea yeah. of a minimum lovable product. Yeah. And it's really tapping into those, those wants, those needs and desires that um, individuals have. And for that, it's really, really interesting. And, and I think it's important to understand all of the multiple factors that move human behavior. Yeah. Um, so what sits underneath the surface, our desire for affiliation, our internal self-image and our ego yeah. presentation, um, that desire, yes, to have nice things. And 
and, and to move forward and, and to support people's dreams and trajectories. But to do that, you have to understand them. So yeah. if asking big, wide open questions and filtering that information out of people and, and yeah. creating the environment. And this is a this is a challenge in the world of digital. Um, I've just been writing about it recently. Um, being able to demonstrate to people that you're actively listening to them, that you're yeah. listening with the whole body, that yeah. you're not just hearing what they say, but you're listening to and responding to what they're actually saying. And that yeah. for that, that's the words, but it's also the unspoken. What, yeah. what lies within what people are not saying. So being able to listen to all of that, yeah. to be able to really filter it back and then paraphrase and summarize and feed it back to people to check understanding, I think yeah. is increasingly valuable in the environment yeah. that we now live. Absolutely. Well, Chris, and this has, um, we were just talking earlier about you know, how many messages we're actually exposed to um, on a daily basis from advertisers. Uh, and then obviously we've gone into the world of digital now. We're exposed to so many, um, you know, webinars and, um, you know, Zoom meetings and things like this. And um, uh, one, of the, one of the key things I've actually noticed how disengaging um, virtual experiences can actually be, okay, because um, people can actually switch off, they don't actually have to listen to you, or they can, they can be very passive, okay. So what would you say to marketers in terms of creating um, engagement uh, in a digital environment and getting people to actually listen to you, uh, rather than just being passive? Yeah, well, part of this is, is down to the fact that um, our attention span is being drawn in 3 million different directions every day. Yeah. Yeah. These things, yeah. these mobile phones are brilliant at diverting attention. And there's research out there that says, even having them in front of you on the table during a meeting, distracts yeah. your attention. Yeah. Um, and we're very well, we understand very well that the, the tricks and techniques of, of user experience and, and user design are phenomenally good. At, yeah just escalating a small cortisol response, small stress response inside the brain to draw your attention away to something. Yeah. One thing that I would suggest to marketers, it's very, very easy and it's very um, comforting to have a script to work with. Yeah. We all work with scripts, evolving scripts of how we engage with the world. Is a, it's a normal part of our human being. It's a yeah. normal part of how we engage and understand the world. You run yeah. scripts in your head all the time about yeah. how you perform certain actions, how you would engage with certain environments. I would caution, and I know it's, it's, it's difficult to be a subject matter expert on everything. <laughs> I would caution marketers to use scripts advisedly. The research yeah. demonstrates that when we're walking around the world, we can be in that trance-like state, and that includes the digital world. Yeah. So bring some novelty to how you engage with people. Bring some novelty to how you speak to or yeah. the language that you use to engage yeah. people. It's a technique which is called taking. So it's yeah. not P-E-A-K. -E Right, it's P I Q U E, right? So what okay. you're doing is peak in interest. Yeah. And <clears throat> the research behind this is very interesting. Um, when 
uh, it, it was done in relation to um, trying to extract or, or uh, engage people with donating money. Now, if you were working with uh, a fixed amount that you were looking people to uh, give to you or to donate to charity, um, there is a pretty low return rate. And the reason for that, which was hypothesized and tested out, was the fact that there was a script running in the head of yep. the person who was saying it. And we were used to responding to that by going, no, 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 no I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. You just move yeah. on. You're just, you're in yeah. your own world. By peaking the interest, by changing the amount to a very, very novel amount. So instead of three pounds, say 3.65, what it did was it broke people out of that trance-like state. Yeah, yeah. And they were more yeah. ready to go, oh, hold on a minute, what? What yeah. was that? It was slightly unusual. So the brain attenuated to it more. And that opened the door to them saying, well, What's that for? Um, yep. Why do you want that money? Or even better, if you put that explanatory element to it as well, is, you know, will you contribute 3.65 for this? Oh, hold on a minute. I'm not used to that message. My brain has now woken up. Yeah. Ah, right. At least I'm going to give you the time of day. And the research demonstrated that the engagement profile was much, much higher. And the yep. return as a result of that engagement profile was higher as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. So what you're saying to uh, to us is that basically what we what we need to do is break them out of their patterns and give them something unexpected that the brain goes, ah, oh, that's different. Um, so I think that as a strategy, especially for exhibitions and obviously engaging people on digital, is giving them giving them something unexpected that they don't. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of these uh, experiences. Uh, what's always missing is is the so what okay uh what's special about it you know <laughs> so if people if people are just facilitating the day-to-day -day experience and meeting people's expectations um it's it's going to lead more of the same isn't it you don't you're not actually doing anything different so i think it's always very very important then to actually look at you know what can i do uh, to actually pique that interest and uh, get them to snap out of uh, the trance that they're actually in. So looking at, I mean, what, one thing obviously uh, I've read and something that we use in our uh, exhibition is looking at how people are actually motivated to take action. And there's the old adage of, you know, uh, the people are more inclined to be driven by pain um, rather than a desire, okay, because uh, as I think one of the authors said, our brain is actually hardwired uh, to be negative. Okay, to I think it's two thirds negative, isn't it? Well, I suppose the best way, from my understanding, to, to to frame this is yeah. around simplifying what this wonderful machine is. Yeah. Uh, so it's three pounds of grand white matter inside the, the brain. When I talk um, to people, I simplify it to two main systems. Um, and our primary system, the bit that gets in first, is an area around our amygdala and our thalamus. And it's, it's about our inbuilt survival response. Yeah. So what it wants to do is move you away from threat, and that's yeah. real threat, but also perceived threat, and move you towards opportunity. Now, where it comes from in terms of um, pain or aversive stimuli being the primary motivator is that this area of the brain, as John's in, in clinical neuroscience published in 2014 said, 
the amygdala is is aligned with all kinds of emotional responses, but it is most specifically aligned with fear, anger, anxiety, stress, all of the big ticket negative items. So we are primed to steer away from something which is unpleasant, but we're also primed to avoid the environment where that yeah. might exist. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's where avoidance behavior can can kind of easily come into play. So yes, if you are seeking and an, in the environment where you can remove the pain that somebody's feeling, first off, I would advise, yes, ask the question, a big wide open question, understand, listen, and, and find out where their pain points might be. Yeah. If you can be the resolution to that pain point, wow, that's powerful. You yeah. then become someone to whom their brain says, Ooh, you're the you're the answer to my problem. And, and if we look at social exchange theory, um, yeah. which sits right at the core of, of how we make these types of decisions, what we're what we're doing in, internally in our own minds is we're we're weighing up cost and benefit. What's the cost and benefit of engagement here? And actually, if we're removing something unpleasant, then the, the benefit goes way, way up. Yeah. And, and actually, we might get into the environment where some of the cost, yeah, we might not be particularly happy about it. We might, we might overlook some of the um, uh, less attractive things uh, about a company or about engaging with certain individuals. But we can set offset that in our own minds because the benefit in our own minds outweighs it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just on that, we're talking about uh, you know protection and moving away from the pain. Obviously, we've seen over the last as digital technology has come on board, we've seen a lot of uh, fraudulent activities, scam artists. You know, you get the messages, and they're actually using the human insecurities. Um, we, we've heard about these, you know, love scams and uh, people actually using that. I mean, what advice would you give to consumers, um, to us as consumers, to actually protect ourselves from um, and how to actually, um, you know, notice that you are actually being scammed or this is not right? So what, what are the key things that you should be looking out for as a consumer? Yeah, and, and really, really important point you've just raised. The social, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> the social engineering that goes into these scams is very, very clever. It really yeah. is. Uh, now, some of them, look, we've all experienced a, a, a spurious email into our inbox. And yeah. the spelling's all wrong, and it's crassly yeah. put together, and it's almost laughable in terms yeah. of how bad it is. Yeah. But, and here's the but. At the other end of the scale, some of these scams are incredibly well created. They yeah. are the social engineering which goes into them is very, very um, clever, um, and they are there to trick the human mind. What we just talked about that that primary defense mechanism. Right? Yeah. Um, think about if you get uh, uh, something dropping into your inbox, ostensibly from a government agency. Yeah. And it says, well, you owe this amount of money, or we're about to cut something off, or yeah. you're about to lose this benefit. Yeah. Think about the immediate threat response to that. Yeah. First off, I'm either in trouble or I'm going to lose out. So what, what these things are, the, the, these scams are doing is they're tapping into 
internal human response mechanisms, yeah. elevating your stress response in a yeah. way that says, take action now. Yeah. Because your brain is primed 24-7 to look after you, which is why, look, yeah. your, your amygdala doesn't go to sleep. Some of the patterns and the brainwave patterns in your amygdala when you're asleep are exactly the same as when you're awake. Yeah. Um, so that's why we can wake up to a sound in the middle of the night and go, Whoa, what was that? Yeah. So these things are very, very craftily created. They are specifically designed to try to draw you in. My advice, and it's, it sounds very simple, but it's very, very powerful. It's exactly the same as if you get a, a, an email from a colleague and you think, why did they say that? What have yeah. I done wrong? Yeah. Take a break. Yeah. Step away from your device. Take a few breaths, slow down, dampen your stress response system down, and then come back to it with a fresh look. When the other part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is all about executive processing and executive uh, functioning, comes into play. And then look at it and, and think, really? Is there any substance to this? Now, this might be from the point of view of, well, you've won the South African lottery. Ask yourself, did you ever enter the South African lottery? <laughs> How could you win something you haven't entered? Yeah. Or a government agency, which comes at you and says, you owe £500 for parking your car in, in Knightsbridge. I haven't yeah. been in Knightsbridge in six months. Yeah. Right? So just create the space and time for your brain to think about it. Yeah. To de-escalate the stress response mechanism and some very, very simple things to do. Look at the URL or the yeah. email address from which it's yeah. come. Very often what you'll see is um, it's dot co dot somewhere else dot yeah, yeah. ABCD923. Yeah. And it's yeah. it doesn't look right. Yeah. Analyze yeah. the text within it and it doesn't look right. So create the space for your brain to dampen down the stress response and then come back to it with a fresh set of eyes and say, ah, and if you are actually worried or concerned, don't respond to the email or the text. Contact the supplier, the government agency, or contact, if it is the South African lottery, phone them directly. They'll find their number on the internet (laughs) and then ask, have I actually won? They'll yeah. probably say, well, you didn't enter, so you haven't won. Yeah. It's interesting, as you mentioned that, actually, it's the immediate response that um, they, they actually look for. And I think the, having these digital devices and that instant um, response that we've actually become accustomed to over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, because people want instant answers, don't they? They want like, you know, especially with social media, it's an instant reaction. So all these scamsters, they've actually drawn into that and said, right, let's uh, engineer this so that, you know, people uh, can actually give us an instant response. It's, um, yeah, very, very clever how they do it. And um, and the thing is, if these people, if these scamsters really put their minds to it, they could actually be doing some good actually using these tools to get people you know, to do positive things rather than actually scamming them out. You know, it's just, you know, I think, you know, as marketers, we can actually learn a lot from them. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think it's uh, something that everybody needs to be aware of and make sure that they don't actually get caught up uh, in that. So I mean, what um, moving into the future? I mean, what what kind of things uh, do you see actually happening in terms of uh, human behaviour and how is technology going to actually affect that? Yeah, well, it's very interesting. I mean, I suppose <clears throat> there have been a number of shifts over the last year and a half. Um, and one of the things that we've seen from a, a business perspective is a, a, a huge uptick in online purchasing. Yeah. Now, that's a really interesting word to enter into. And how do you differentiate yourself? How do you engage with your customer in the very high-paced, fast-paced world of social media? And the concept of trust is, is yeah. one which is absolutely critical because if we look, you know, stepping back into um, uh, Cialdini's world again, Cialdini couldn't have seen the, the evolution of social media back in 84 when, when he published his work around influence. And yet he talked about social proof. And yeah. Social proof is, is therefore all around us. Yes, we have to look with a critical eye because um, the, the world of deep fakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very troubling indeed. Yeah. How easy it is to create them. That yeah. said, there are there are a number of different things I think which brands and marketing should consider as they move into the future. And it's incumbent upon brands to build trust, but also to maintain trust. And bear in mind that the human brain, the default mechanism, the the bit that can get in first, is that defense response survival mode reaction. Yeah, yeah. So it's on the lookout for things which don't sit congruent. And there's research which demonstrates that by the age of five, we can tell intellectual inconsistencies in yeah. what people say and what they have written. Yeah. Um, so we are good at picking up where the inconsistencies lie. That creates a real challenge for organizations when they are so open to the scrutiny of the world around them in social media. Um, it sets up it sets up interesting challenges. We've, we've seen recently um, the reports that have come out around Amazon, and, and people have lent in heavily to the Amazon brand. Um, and look, they do things very well. They do their business model. They absolutely execute it very well. But only this week, um, they have been put in the spotlight over their climate change credentials and their yeah. their environmental credentials over the fact that they have a, a disposal policy. Um, now, not get into the rights and wrongs because I don't understand the disposal policy, but what it has done, it's created an interesting dynamic for people. We are right at the epicenter of a climate crisis and, and people are increasingly aware of their environmental impact. Yeah. It sets up what we call a cognitive dissonance yeah. um, for people. So I like Amazon because it's handy and it gives me what I need and it's reasonably priced and it gets delivered to my door. But, oh, hold on a minute. I'm also keen on my environmental principles. That internal discord is something that all organizations are going to have to balance yeah. because there are very, very tricky conversations to be had around our environmental footprint, our impact, and then the impact that it has on trust for all yeah. of our all of our clients as we move forward. Now, you talked earlier on about, about the impact that marketers can have, what you might learn from scammers. Look, cognitive dissonance can be used 
who help drive behavior change. It's been yeah. used around seatbelt bearing, around smoking, um, yeah. and behavioral insights and, and the behavioral insights team have been very effective in helping to promote certain behavior change. So it's not all bad news by any means, or it's not all a cautionary tale. These elements can be used to help drive change in the right direction too. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the key things, uh, especially with Amazon, the, the example that you gave is uh, what I look at is the packaging, for example. Uh, my daughter bought me a shirt uh, for Father's Day just recently, and it actually came in a box that was meant for a television, I think. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, I mean, it's just like, why are they actually doing this? Why all the unnecessary packaging? And you just go to show if they sent out 300 of those shirts in a similar packaging, um, yeah, A, how much money could they be saving? Okay. And B, how much, um, you know, space in the van, for example, that is taking up and you could actually have less journeys. And obviously, and it seems to me that, uh, as you know, corporate marketers, there is a sincere lack of joined up thinking, okay, in yeah. terms of, you know, um, taking that journey and actually asking ourselves, why are we actually doing this? Why does this shirt need to be in a big package? Why can't we, you know, just, um, you know, send it in a flat pack, you know, like a um, seven by five or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and this is it. Think like your customer. And yeah. understand the, the multiple push and pull points that the customer may have. Think yeah. about the idea of cognitive dissonance. Think yeah. about the idea that the customers may say, actually, yeah. getting the shirt and getting it next day or whatever it is, brilliant. Ooh, hold on a minute. Huge levels of packaging, not so brilliant. Because yeah. part of my brain is saying, what's the impact on, on, on the world around me? Yeah. And, and if we look at this and, and start to understand it, the... The challenge for marketing, for organizations, and for brand reputation moving forward really steps into this world of, of the, the multifaceted dynamic of trust. Yeah. What does it take to be a trustable brand? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's complex. And you're right, it, it, it is about seeing that big picture um, and big picture thinking. Um, I'll go into the four, the four dynamics of, of, of being trustable shortly, but... It, it is, you know, it's it's such a big conversation for for organisations, brands, and marketing as yeah, they move yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we look at. Um, I mean, there's two things, obviously, as as marketers and as salespeople. The first thing that we need is obviously trust from um, our customers, and if we don't get it, we don't get the sale. And we actually have to go through that process of building that trust by obviously listening, as you said before. Uh, and then uh, from a consumer perspective, okay, we always ask, can we build that trust? So it is a two-way interactive process, isn't it, in terms of how uh, your consumers are looking for trust, okay? And you need to trust your consumers as well to be able to pay you, make sure that you know, that you have a really viable relationship for the long term as well. So it's kind of, so if you want to share those four uh, trust um, uh, pillars, if you like, and uh, see how they actually affect um, uh, both, you know, businesses and consumers at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Because in the end, 
the consumer wants the best deal. Yeah. The brand wants loyalty. Yeah. <laughs> the brand doesn't want you to, to say, oh, what I got was brilliant, but I'm going over here now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is a complex interaction and it's exchanged both ways. Yeah. And, and in terms of, of, of building and maintaining that trust, the best way to have that sense of loyalty, really it, it comes down to four dynamics of trust. And with that, there's a complexity here. So we'll go into each one slightly. The first one is confidence. Can you do what you say you do? Yeah. Are you actually any good? Yeah. So it, it's incumbent upon each organization, each brand, to be able to demonstrate we are good at what we do. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be best in field to have the customer stay loyal to you. Yeah. But the confidence needs to evolve. The confidence needs to be aware, as we've just talked about, about all of those moving parts, about, oh, okay, hold on a minute. Uh, I like the shirt. I like the delivery. I don't like the packaging very much. Yeah, yeah. And, and then when we move into it, if we make a, a statement about ourselves, and this is something very, very, very important for brands to think about and for marketers to think about, integrity is an absolute must within the, yeah. cons, the construct of trust. Don't yeah. ever say you'll do something that you cannot deliver mm, yeah. or that you won't deliver. Because immediately when we look at these things and social proof, look, you'll be found out very, very quickly. Absolutely, yeah. Around yeah. the world in, in 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, there's no hiding place anymore, is there? No, no. And, yeah. and you know, some classic examples of that are, are um, United Airlines uh, yeah. back in 2016, I think it was, Dr. David Dow, who was yeah. removed from the plane uh, forcibly. Yeah. Yeah. And ended up with broken teeth and a broken nose. Yeah. Uh, ordinarily, that may have made local news, maybe even state news in the states. Yeah. It was international news for days on end as a result yeah. of Twitter and somebody yeah. being able to capture it on their phone and tweet yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, so you need to be careful about the promises that you make. <laughs> <laughs> Integrity is an absolute must because the the internet will find you out very very quickly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Next within that, and this is absolutely critical for the, the cognitive dissonance element, benevolence. Yeah. You have to prove that you have your customer's interests at heart. Now, yeah. It doesn't mean that, that you have all of their interests all at heart, all, all at the same time, but you have to prove that there's an element of benevolence to what you're doing, that you're not seeking to take them for a ride yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Or, or that the customer doesn't feel that they're being taken for a ride. Yeah. So you have to convey that and demonstrate that very, very carefully. And then the last one is predictability. Yeah, You have to know that there's a, a, a certain stability around your engagement, around yeah. how you're going to work with them um, and what they can expect from you. So yeah. the worst thing in the world to do is to set up the ultimate customer service experience and yeah. yeah the first time i engaged with you it was fantastic the next time boom, boom hold on a minute yeah it was quite the reverse yeah not flipping of the world upside down is really really challenging for the human brain because yeah. it says i don't know what to expect from you yeah and therefore that will put me immediately into a slightly defensive posture yeah because if i'm if i'm dealing with the unexpected then my amygdala will heighten I'll be, I'll, I'll be slightly more on edge. I'll be yeah. slightly more defensive and yeah. slightly more guarded yeah. in terms of engaging with him. So it's really yeah. about setting and, and creating that stability in terms of what you do. 
that's a real challenge because yeah. there's so many moving parts to the world. Absolutely. And it is all about upholding your standards, actually setting the standard and actually upholding them. And as I always say to my teams uh, when we're working at exhibitions, uh, there is no second chance because uh, every job uh, has to be like your last job. You know, it's you're only as good as uh, your last job, uh, really, in terms of, um, you know, your performance and so on, because everything else before that, if you let somebody down just once, that's it. You might as well start again. OK, because um, uh, that trust has been actually broken. OK, because um, they pay you good money and they expect you to deliver a certain service. And if you don't deliver, then you might as well start, um, uh, you know, uh, you might as well think that you've not got that client anymore. OK, so. Um, all right. That's absolutely brilliant. So thank you very much for all your insights, Ed. And we could actually talk forever <laughs> about human behavior and psychology. And yeah. uh, well, I really appreciate you coming on. And if there's one tip that you would like to leave our listeners with in terms of, um, you know, guarding the mind, okay, or guarding the temple, as we say, uh, what would it be? Okay, so I'll, I'll probably, my one tip will probably diverge into, into a couple of different ideas. Okay. Number one, build a relationship. Yeah. Build a relationship. Don't immediately be on, and I know there's pressure. There is pressure all the time. But if an individual's brain, a potential customer's brain, feels like they're being pressured or feels like they're being sold and they're not in that, they're not in that ballpark quite yet, you'll yeah. switch them off. You yeah. will switch them off. So don't go after the seal, build the relationship and the seal will come. Secondly, there is pressure all the time. Every single one of us needs to hit targets, right? Businesses need to be profitable. I get that. But learn some techniques to manage that inner amygdala response. Just yeah. dampen that down slightly. And that enables you, and this is, this is some of the stuff from elite sport performance. If we can dampen down the stress response, that enables you to bring into play all of the things that you are, all of the facets of you as a human being, and all of the skills that you've learned in terms of engaging people and the knowledge that you have around your product to really create an environment where you can engage people, where they can feel interested, listened to and valued. And wow, how powerful is that to engage yeah. a customer? Absolutely. Wise words, Aidan, wise words. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for your time. Um, how can our listeners actually find you? How can, uh, how can they connect with you? So my company is called Malleable Mind. Um, our web address is www.malleablemind.co.uk. Um, and if you want to drop me an email, it's quite simple, aidan.kearney at malleablemind.co.uk. Fantastic. I uh, really appreciate your time, Aidan. Um, thank you so much uh, for your wise words and uh, for coming on to our podcast. And uh, no doubt I'll see you out there in the Manchester business circles. <laughs> uh, we'll Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much. There you are, the great Aidan Kearney uh, with his wise words on uh, how to manage your mind and human behavior. So as we've all learned, Trust is very, very important. And um, uh, yeah, and obviously upholding your standards to build that relationship 
uh, with your uh, with your customers. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. We'll be back with uh, episode ten of uh, in conversation with Expo Stars very soon, and uh, all the best.